Well, again, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. On behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, we're so glad that you're with us, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us for the first time, always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience, so make sure you come back, and we'd love to be your spiritual family. Today, we are uh, continuing a, uh, a new series that we started last week called The Summer of Wisdom, and we opened up, um, really, the book of Proverbs, um, um, kind of corporately, actually, for uh, kind of the first time, deep dive it a little bit, and, and we've been really loved looking at just the idea of what wisdom was, and so if you missed last week, you have to go back and watch the whole sermon, because it kind of helps us set up, really, this idea and tease out the idea of wisdom wisdom and Proverbs, but I'll give you a couple of things of context before we jump in to the scriptures today. Proverbs is a unique book. It's found in the Old Testament, kind of the middle-ish section, and it's what we call, it's a part of a collection of books that we call the wisdom books. Everybody say wisdom. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the wisdom books inside of the Old Testament, and um, the, 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 the writers of the, the, you know, inside of the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament, really wrote these three books to kind of work in unison. If you look at and you deep dive um, the book of Proverbs, it's amazing, because really what you find is Solomon, um, who was the wisest and richest man who ever lived. You ever need to go look and find the context. First Kings chapter three, God, Solomon asks God for wisdom and he gives him wisdom and riches. And um, But you see that Solomon collects all of these ideas and the, the writers of, of Proverbs put all of the ideas and all of his best stuff. It's like his best of the best. This is like, it would be, uh, if it was a book nowadays, like they were selling, on, it would be a New York Times bestseller. It would be like the one that, you know, your best life now, like that's what this would be. And so, um, and so Proverbs was written like, that but it was written really if you don't know anything about just kind of the way that the Hebrew writers intended it was written to be a part of a collection you have Proverbs then you have Ecclesiastes and then you really have the book of Job and each of them have a different perspective on wisdom and they're 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 designed to work together and they're designed to almost work in in unison so if you ever wanted to go back and read the book of Proverbs read Proverbs and then read Ecclesiastes and then read Job if I can give you a highlight of kind of like can I give you some context of how it works Proverbs is like um, in fact you even see this in the literary uh, fashion you see it written from a woman's perspective. In fact, a young woman's perspective. That's why you see a lot of, especially the first 10 chapters is really the idea. There's like four to six or seven poems about lady wisdom. That's why I always say wisdom as a woman. Come on, guys. Look at your wife differently. And so wisdom is a woman. And it's written from a young lady's perspective. That's why even Proverbs chapter 31, what are they talking about? It's a, it's a, wise woman. And so it's written from a perspective from a woman who is actually young enough to believe that God is who he said he was that can do what he said he could do. However, what you find is, is that Proverbs was not written as a book of, of laws or promises. So it's different than, let's say, the, the, you know, the Torah, where God, it, it, God has given you certain things and it's law-based writings. Proverbs is probability-based writings. It's saying, look, if you more than likely do this, more often than not, you will be tapping into something we're going to talk about today, that you'll be tapping into wisdom, and wisdom will deliver you some great things in life. But how many of y'all know that sometimes when you do that, it doesn't always work out? And then you look at the Bible, and you look up at God, and you're like, God, I thought you were true. And he's like, I am true, but this, you live in a crazy world. And so there are some things that we're going to have to figure out and, and, and work out, and we're going to talk about that today. And so before we do that, let's pray. And we'll get started and we're going to have a good time. Father, we just thank you, God, today that you have something to say to us. And I thank you that you've given us your word. And um, I'm personally grateful for Proverbs and, and the wisdom that it's given me um, in my life. And I pray that we would, as a church, maybe this sermon series can tease out um, um, a way for us to have a, a, maybe a hunger and a thirst for your word. 
um, in ways that we've never done before. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, I've realized some things as I've gotten older. And, and one of the things I realized is I'm not exactly who I think I am. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who are you really? Because I've noticed sometimes who I think I am, right, is not always who I really, really am. And more often than not, who people think I am, come on, aren't, isn't always what, who I really am. The other day I was shopping at a store, it's a big store, and I was walking around and I started getting asked a bunch of questions from everybody at the store. And I was like standing in the clothing area as I often am. And somebody walked up and asked me if there was a size of this shirt. And I was like, I don't know, man. You should probably find someone who... Then I was in the electronic section and they asked me if they had this TV in stock. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe you should talk to someone who works here. And then I was in the candy section and the chips aisle, and I love it. And someone asked me if they sold this brand of chip, and I said, homie, I don't work here. And I got home, and my, I told my wife my experience. She said, well, you were wearing a red shirt at a store called Target, and so people thought you worked here, dummy. And they thought I was somebody who I wasn't, right? And, and, and I'm just never, I just, as I've gotten older, I'm not as nice as I thought I was. Anybody ever met someone, you thought you were nice, and then you met someone who's actually nice, and you're like, I'm not a nice person. <laughs> Did anybody do that? You think you're generous, and then you meet somebody who's actually generous, and you're like, I am the stingiest person. You, you think that you're, you know, you're, you're happy. Has anybody met a really happy person that makes you sick? You just want to punch them? You know, you're like, you actually have the joy of the Lord, and you're like, you're, that's dumb. Like, you don't live in reality. And so, yeah, I'm not as happy as I thought I was. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I'm not as good looking as I think I am. I'm not as cunning and as wise as I think. And the Bible inside of Proverbs is unique because it makes you, um, it, it, it highlights four different types of people. And it makes you think about what kind of a person you are. The first one that they talk about is the simple. This is the person who's naive. Proverbs chapter 7, it says, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had made no sense. That's why you look at the kids and you're like, you don't make no sense. You ain't got no, come on. You ain't got no sense. And Solomon directs us to young people. And this wasn't an assault, an insult. This was just a, an observation and reflection on your life. Is that you're not old. You are young. And by definition, you are naive. And the simple need time to develop. They need, they need time. There's the first, second one is the fool. Uh, Proverbs talks about, and this is the person who rejects the idea of the wisdom that, ever, that Proverbs even talks about. And it says in Proverbs chapter 10, it says, The fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person understanding delights in wisdom. They look past, these are people who look past sound judgment, you know, and counsel. And they find joy in rebellion. And, and, and these people, they need tragedy. Because they don't change unless something, you ever, you ever met that person who has to get to the end of themselves? And you, they always say, you know, the worldly way to say it is they, get, they, gotta, they gotta hit what? Rock. Yeah, that's the fool. The mocker, the third one, there's a third one, it's called the mocker. This is the person who doubles down on their foolishness. It's kind of funny. They, they don't, they're not just foolish, they're proud of their foolishness. 
You've met this person, Proverbs chapter 9, whoever corrects a mocker, invites insults, whoever rebukes the wicked, incurs abuse. Not only were you a fool, um, you celebrate your foolishness in your own life. See every Instagram post of a young person. You're like, what in God's name are you posting that for? You're trying to get a job one day and they're going to look at that. You know, you out there. I'm just saying. And the mocker needs divine intervention. Because they, they, really, they don't change with people. They have to change with God. It's almost like God needs to get a hold of them. That's when your, your mama calls you. You know, you're praying, you know, God better get a hold of you. The fourth one, though, he talks about is the wise, the person with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom is an interesting, interesting idea. Wisdom for the Hebrew people was, um, in, 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 in the Hebrew language, was, was a, a word called chokmah. Y'all want to be Bible scholars today? You got to say it like you're clearing your throat. Everybody say it to me on the count of three. One, two, three. Chokmah. Yeah, yeah it's really, you guys are really smart. And so he, uh, uh, they, they, they taught, Solomon taught chokmah in, in, in the concept of the Hebrew tradition. And they believed wisdom, chokmah, was uh, likened like a divine thread weaving, weaved throughout the universe that can be tapped into by anybody. So it was a, a divine character trait of God that God even used. In fact, Proverbs chapter 8 actually talks about God using chokmah to create the world, you and I. He's, the Bible says it, he, he, he accessed wisdom or chokmah when he actually used chokmah to create all things and to create you and I and the universe and everything. And so they believed that there's, there, was this, there was this unique divine way that the universe worked, that if you were accessing wisdom or chokmah, you were working, you ever heard that saying, working with the grain instead of against the grain come on going with the flow of things have you ever been in life where you felt like everything just seemed to be running against you and then you went through life sometimes you're like you felt like you can do nothing wrong right and it, the hebrew people believed that if you were um if you were if you were doing um using wisdom if you were if you were in, in fact it was a moral compass for most people in the Hebrew fashion, that if you if you had anything to do with justice or righteousness or love or kindness, or if you were a good businessman and you were ethical in the way that you did things, if you were sexually pure, if you were if you were a great parent and you did things in the wise way, you were accessing this thing called chokmah, and it was not just knowledge, it was applied knowledge. So it wasn't that you were just smart. You know, you and I think wisdom of like a smart person, like a high IQ, and I talked to you about like last week that wisdom is not intelligence. They believed that it was, it was applied knowledge. They, they, they would say if you created um, something artistic in nature, you were accessing chokmah. In fact, Solomon would create and bring great artists and craftsmen around the temple. And he said when they created, when he created things and when they created stuff for the temple, he would actually look at them and say, you are accessing and looking and using wisdom in your life. And, and he says and points out in Proverbs chapter 9 that it starts and ends with the concept that's called the fear of the Lord. And you're like, that's kind of odd. I, okay, so what I read in my American 21st century Western thought dictionary linguistics, I have to be afraid of God in order to access the things of God. And that's not what the fear of the Lord is. In fact, Ecclesiastes, he says this. this is, that's the whole story. This is Solomon again. Here's my final conclusion. Fear God 
and obey his commandments. He says it all starts and ends with this idea and concept of the fear of the Lord. I can't teach you wisdom without bringing up the concept of the fear of the Lord. Because if you don't have the fear of the Lord, it is increasingly impossible to access chokmah in your life. So what is it? That's a good question to ask. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord, I'll give you a quick, easy definition just so we can kind of work on that. And then we're going to develop it over the sermon real quick. But the idea of the fear of the Lord, I'll just give you a quick one. is be an awe-inspiring reverence for God. An awe-inspiring reverence for God. You're not afraid of God. The Bible, Solomon is not telling you to be afraid of God. Quite literally, you should be afraid of not being around God. If you have any types of, you know, our fear in that sense. But that you have such a reverence for God that you don't take God lightly in any aspect of your life. That you recognize the greatness of God and the things of God. There's a great story. You should go read it. I'm not going to tell it to you now. But it's in Exodus chapter 3. And um, there's this really famous guy. He... Charlton Heston played him. His name was Moses. And so he, um, he, he had this really interesting moment with God and this mountaintop and this bush started to light on fire and the bush didn't get consumed. So it was called the burning bush. And when um, the burning bush lit on fire, God started to speak through it. And one of the first things God tells Moses is to take off your sandals because the place where you stand, because my presence is here, because I'm in your presence because I'm God and you're not, you should take your sandals off because God is so amazing and holy. And to have the fear of the Lord quite literally would mean you don't treat an extraordinary God as an ordinary being. And I think that's good for me And I'm like convinced that I need to have it. But if I wanted to develop the fear of the Lord, because some of us didn't come from church. You know, I grew up in church and and the concept of the fear of the Lord was beaten into me by the pastor every time he got up on the platform about holiness and hell and righteousness and is As much as I didn't enjoy the legalistic nature of the church, it still taught me to fear God. And it produced this little check in my spirit of just the things of the Lord. How how do you develop the fear of God? I remember um, sitting in church where you guys are sitting, and we didn't have these cool chairs that are soft. We had uh, torture devices called pews. They're like wooden. If you don't know anything about pews, does anybody know what a pew is? You all know what a pew is. Pew's like a torture seating area where you it's all long and made you sit. I don't even like to sit next to anybody in this like in the movie theater, you know, with the armrest. This is the ultimate make me I have to touch you now. You know, you'd be sitting up next. And then there's no boundary, so they just think they can get up on your space. You know what I mean? And I'm like, homie, scoot over. You're in my space. But I remember growing up with them and my mom, I used to mess around because, you know, I didn't like to sit on these things. My mom used to tell me every time we walked into church, she said, you better be good because God's watching. You better be good because God, God's in that church 
and he's watching, and I'm going to make... And you know what she did? She made sure I was good, because she would sit behind me. She wouldn't sit with me. She would sit behind me. This is a mom move right here. Moms, y'all know what this is. She wanted to make sure she knew exact... She had good line of sight on what was going on in her kid's life. And she was watching me, and if I made the wrong move, she did the famous mom church move. Y'all know what it is. And uh, y'all want to have some fun real quick. If you're sitting next to someone you know, don't do this if you don't know them. But if you're sitting next to someone you know, just reach over real quick in the back of their arm. Just come on right here. Just, just so we all know what I'm talking about. Everybody right now, come on, act like you, you're, you're just, you know. Reach over to your partner right now. And if it's a kid, do it. It's great. It'll, I want to hear somebody say, ow. And just... Pinch their arm in the back. One, two, three. Pinch it. Yeah, ow. Yeah, that's what she used to do. And she would pinch my arm, and I would do what all kids do when their arms are pinched. Ow! And that would get me in more trouble because I screamed in church, right? And I'm like, Mom, I'm confused. Why are you pinching me? You know, and you're making me scream, and it was bad. But she, she, was, she was always on me about being respectful in the house of God. How, how to have reverence for the things of God. She was teaching me that you don't come to God like he's just one of your friends. She used to tell me that. She said, you come to God like he's God and you're not. And I, I know in the world that we live in, because we, we are like, our church is like this. We want to teach you a God who's loving and kind and gracious and friendly and, and loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. And all those things are true. The problem is, is that when we access um, the grace of God, it almost makes us at times forget the holiness of God. Because he's allowed you to come in his presence. You think you don't have to take your sandals off. You think we tight. We boys. That he's just another one of your, your friends. And my mom taught me this concept called, of, it's, it's, a, it's a theological concept, divine order. That there's a God-given step-by-step process to things. And there's a divine order to your relationship with God. Chokmah was, was, was for you to access it and have wisdom in your life, you needed to know about divine or Solomon was teaching us saying, you can't even expect to have wisdom if you don't have the fear of the Lord. There's a, there's a, it, there's a, you get this if. And that divine order produces blessing because divine order produces the fear of the Lord, which produces wisdom, which produces, come on, y'all see. So I can't teach you wisdom without teaching you how to develop the fear of the Lord. This is, you know, I'm going to give you the divine order, the process. Y'all ready? Step one. If you're taking notes, step one of the divine order. It's you need to recognize God is amazing and you are not. I know your mom told you you are amazing. I know your coach was like, you're powerful, run fast. And grandma thinks that you are the best thing since Internet was created. But the first step of the fear of the Lord in developing that is to understand that God is amazing and you are not. I, um, I love golf. I think I've talked to you about this before. I'm not any good, but I'm getting there. And um, when I first started playing golf, I played with a, a PGA pro. 
And I have a little bit of pride in me. I thought, I'm going to show this guy what's up. And um, the game of golf is typically played 18 holes. So I started the game. And my first ball, I'm telling you what, Tiger Woods would have said, wow. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. And I started, I started feeling myself. Guys, you ever get into a mode where you're like, you, you got lucky and you thought you were good and you start feeling yourself? You all, in life, y'all ever do that? Because I don't know if you know this or not, a dead clock is right twice a day. I got lucky hitting a ball, and I started, I said, I said something to him. I said, man, you better, you better bring your game today. You better, you better make it happen. And that was the only shot I hit, well, the whole day. The whole day. And, 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 and he was... And because I started my relationship with him, mouthy, inappropriate, y'all see where I'm going? Because I started wrong with him. He didn't want to give me nothing. So I, like halfway through the round, I'm suffering here, y'all. It's bad. And I'm like, hey, man, like, what do you do when you're going to chip? He goes, no, no, I thought you were going to bring it. Bring it. I was like, hey, come on. I was just kidding. You know, I was just kidding. I was just, I was just kidding, you know. And he was, like, he was like, nah, man, go ahead. It wasn't until, like, the 19th hole. There is no 19th hole. It wasn't until the game was over that, that I had convinced him to give me a pointer or two because my posture had changed towards him and said, hey, I don't know. I, I, by the time I said, hey, I just want you to know, I don't know what I'm doing. And he goes, I know. I said, would you mind giving me a tip or two? And he said, sure, you know. And, and it wasn't until I recognized that, I, that he was great, and I wasn't, that, that, that I received something from him. Again, I, I, I know you're amazing. You're probably really smart, better looking than I think you maybe are or other people think you are. You're probably brilliant and wise. And you got it all worked out. But you're not God. He's amazing. And you're not. Bible talks about it a little bit. Um, that you, before you come into the presence of God, we must recognize the eminence of God. That was what Moses was doing. He was taking off his sandals. Bible says that God's omniscient, so he's all-knowing, which means he knows everything. He's never, he's never learned. He's never been in study hall. It's never occurred to God. God doesn't learn things. He doesn't figure things out. He doesn't reason. He doesn't, like, you know, he's never said, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> God's not smart. He knows all things. There's a difference. The Bible says that he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Like, he, he literally holds all-powerful. He's not strong. He's all-powerful. There's a difference. He doesn't work out. He's never been to the YMCA. He's not a CrossFitter. He doesn't take protein shakes. When we're, when we're tired, when, when we rest when we're tired. God rests when he's finished. 
So uh, I'm, he's, he's omnipresent, which means he's all present. He's everywhere all the time. God doesn't go places. He doesn't book on Travelocity. He's never taken an Uber. Wherever you are, he's already there. He's, he's already, it, it, maybe the best way, it doesn't require anything for God to do everything. He is God. He is amazing. And you are not. I know this feels encouraging today. <laughs> but if you don't start there, if you think you're something that you're not, you'll spend 18 holes in the sand, missing the ball, and slicing it into the woods. You won't do well. You got to start there. Side note, you, you and I don't start as friends with God, by the way. We start out as enemies. Romans chapter 5 is clear about that. With Paul, he says that we were enemies of God. And the only reason we're not is Jesus. <laughs> it's not that you got better. It's that you got different. And that Jesus entered into this. You did, it, this is not like your house was broken and then you had the extreme home makeover. No, no, no. You had a new house. And that Jesus came in and changed fundamentally who you are and who you were. And if you don't recognize God as amazing and you are not, that's, you're, you're not going to get far. No, it's number two, um, once you recognize God as amazing, then you've got to draw near to him. The Bible says, it's a use unique language. James chapter 4 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many of y'all want the devil to be running from you instead of you running from the devil? Submit, submit to God. And then he says, and this, he says, draw near to God. Now this is interesting. Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. First thing he says is submit yourselves. This is the fear of the Lord. The Hebrew people believed that the fear of the Lord was having a healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil, right and wrong, sin and no sin. This also meant that if you had the fear of the Lord in your heart, you forfeited your right to redefine what sin was. I'm going, people be asking me sometimes, can you go deep? We're in the deep. You're welcome. Most of us, as we look at our relationship with God, we, we can get into step one and recognize that God's amazing. But then when it comes down to it, what keeps us from having the fear of the Lord is you and I's uncomfortableness with what God defines as sin. And true wisdom, or chokmah, was learning those boundaries and actually not crossing them. The Hebrew people believed in it so much. Solomon wrote about it. He taught about it. So for you and I, what does that actually mean? That if God hates evil, you and I should hate evil. Proverbs chapter 8 says the fear of the Lord is to what? to hate evil. And the reason God hates sin is not because some of it's not fun. That's how we look at God sometimes. When God tells you not to do something, you and I go, well, that's a fun killer. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like fun. I mean, I want to go do that. That looks like fun. And God says, yeah, for a moment. And then you pay lifelong consequences. God, God hates sin because it hurts you. He doesn't hate fun. 
God's a really, a lot of scriptures in the Bible that says God loves fun. I want you to have a great life. Enjoy a lot of things. But he hates sin because it hurts you. And I, I just, a question I was wondering that in our church today. Have you, how comfortable have you gotten with sin? It's probably not a message I teach like the week after Easter or something like that, you know. But it's like summertime. I feel like most everybody here is like family. You know, we family in here. So I'm going to have a little family moment. How comfortable are you with sin? For real. Or the look of sin. I know a lot of people, good godly people, man. Maybe, maybe you're a little too comfortable with lying. And you just think, I'm just bending the truth just to kind of get what I want. I'm just, just making sure that I do. They would say, uh, in the Hebrew tradition, they would say, if you lied, you, you, were, you, were, you were working against the grain of the universe. You weren't using wisdom. If you were unethical in your business practices, they were saying you could get away with it for a minute, but you, you're being unethical. And if you continue to do that, it'll eventually catch up with you because the laws of the universe will eventually catch. They believed it was the divine thread. Remember, this is d- deeper than your, um, your Christian plaque on the wall in your house, isn't it? That says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on on your own understanding. They, they, he was saying, you, you, you got to be careful that you... you um, it's much, a lot of people talk like sin. You be, you know, sleeping with, you know, someone else that's not your wife, and they be upon that. But they be like at the buffet, eating and eating and eating and eating and eating, and you treat your body like it's not holy, that it's not a a dwelling place for the Lord. And so what what we've gotten really good at is preaching about the sin that we don't do and talking never about it, the thin, thin sin that we do do. And, and I'm not just talking about preachers. I'm talking about people because Christians are great preachers at people. Have you ever noticed that? Go look at social media. The, oh, the best, the best, most irritating to me, most judgmental people are the Christians who are raised in a world that says you better be careful with judging folk. And they preach at everybody saying, be careful with that when they're doing their own thing. Are you too comfortable with, like, Drinking alcohol too much. Bible's clear. Let me have a, you want a statement? Bible's clear. Drinking's not a sin. Can't prove it isn't. Sorry. <laughs> but getting drunk is. Allowing it to be a thing in your life that you love more than your kids and your friends. In your own holiness, your own ability and your own character, yeah, that's a sin. Just like it is when you eat too much and you watch too much Netflix, you, you realize all of that drunkenness that the Bible talks about was an overindulgence of the things that you thought were a good thing that you made a God thing. And so I wonder if we've just gotten too close to sin and we're too comfortable with the line. Like, I didn't cross it, Pastor. But wisdom, Hokmah would say, let's not even get close to it. Not in the sense of saying, I'm so good, look how bad you are. It's saying, I'm really trying hard to recognize that God is amazing and I'm not. And I want to I submit myself. And then he says, he says, come near, draw near, draw near, draw near. Which, by the way, means, which means you and I determine the level of relationship that we have with God. It's not the other way around. Some of us, like, on the sidelines, be like, you know, I just wish that God would come and say hi to me. <laughs> I mean, I just wish we would, have a, we would be friends. 
And God's, I bet, in the, this is how I see God. He'd be chilling on his lazy boy upstairs. And he's like, I just wish this guy would want to be my friend. I wish she would talk to me. Because as she draws near to me, Proverbs says, I draw. I draw. James talk to me. I draw. I get, I get closer. And it leads us to this thing called the friendship of the Lord. So we don't start out as friends. We start out as enemies. And as with the fear of the Lord develops more in our life, you become friends with God. Psalms chapter 25, it says, the friendship of the Lord is reserved for who? <laughs> what are we talking about? You can't be a friend of God's and not have a fear of him. I mean, this is Bible. I'm not even giving you my opinion yet. I'm waiting to get up on my soapbox. There's a friendship with God that is so personal, but it starts with the reverent fear of the Lord. The, per- the, the personal comes after the reverent. And I, I think in the season um, of life, you know, I grew out younger, when I was younger, they had that, uh, like, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. Y'all seen those shirts? Jesus is my homeboy. I'm not, I don't care about that. I'm sure he is your homeboy. He's my homeboy too. Problem is it didn't start there. It doesn't start there. I don't come up to him as my homeboy. I take my sandals off. And then he allows, come on, y'all see what I'm saying? Then he allows you to come into his presence. And as you get closer to him, intimacy is brought by proximity. And you can't have proximity without friendship. And you can't have friendship. Y'all see this? Is, we're, we're talking about divine order and the fear of the Lord. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm helping. Is, is this helpful? I'm, I'm, okay. So number three, this is the third step, third step. So it's, you recognize God is amazing. We are not. Then we draw near to God. Then we do what he commands. Talk about the fear of the Lord. If you want the fear of the Lord in your life, this is how it works. John chapter 15, greater love is no man than this, no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friend. One of the best verses in all of scripture. The problem is, is he, then he defines who his friends are. So I'm like, oh, thank you for dying for me. And he's like, are you sure you're my friend? And he says, you're my friends. If you do, if, if is a contingent statement. You realize, if, everybody say if. If. You do what I command. So a friend of God is simply, they, friends of God do what God commands. I like what we said earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is Solomon. He says, my final conclusion, fear God. And then what? <laughs> Obey his commands. It's like Solomon knew what he was talking about. Being the wisest man who had ever lived. He said, you got to fear the Lord and obey his commands. They kind of go together. And the people who fear who have the fear of the Lord, they obey God. And they obey God four ways. I'll just make them real punchy if you're taking notes. They obey God immediately. So you don't take time. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Don't let anybody else convince you otherwise, especially your children. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So if God asks you to do something, when should you do it? Right now. Number two, they obey when it doesn't make sense. Um, has anybody ever been asked by God to do something that doesn't make any sense other than me? Raise your hand. Oh, okay. Yeah. It is a universal concept of being a Christian. Um, if you're waiting to fully jump into Christianity until you fully understand, you're going to be waiting until the end of your life. Yep. Pastor Jason and I, uh, he's our executive pastor. We have one of my favorite conversations I have with him are all the things we don't understand about God. Some of the wisest people I know share with me all the things they don't understand about God. But they obey anyway. 
Number three, we, we, we obey when, when it do, we don't see the benefit. Most things in Christianity, can I give you just a little insight to the future? Most of the things that God asks you to do, you probably won't see the immediate benefit of it. Like, be honest. Like when God asks you to, like, submit to your husband when he's basically a crazy person, that you don't see the immediate benefit. Y'all see what I'm saying, right? Like, when he asks you to, like, tithe and actually give money, Give your money, you my money, give my money, my money. You crazy? You don't have to do to get this money. Do you know my boss? Do you realize where I come from? I ain't got no money in the beginning. In the first place, you tell me, give me, give me money. How does that benefit me? You see what I'm saying? It's all, it's all linked. And the last one is you they obey all the way to completion. So you don't do it halfway, you do it all the way. So if you be a man of your word, a woman of your word, it's obedience was, was a big deal in the Hebrew culture. I remember I asked my boys the other day recently, I said, and I'm done. Um, I said, hey, go get a bunch of swim clothes. We're looking to see. We're trying to do the inventory. Summer's coming up. We're going to start swimming more. We need to figure out. I got five young boys. They all got clothes. So we're like, let's just go every, because you know what's funny is now in my house, all the clothes are all mixed together. We have to stop like every three weeks and then like separate everybody. So like, you know, my wife will do the laundry and we'll put it all away and it'll go into the right spots. But how many of y'all know they don't seem to go to the right spots because they're children. And uh, we're like, hey, I said, hey, go get your swim stuff. I was like, okay. So they go and they bring back. I'm not kidding you. So I have five kids. They brought back like three pieces of clothing. <laughs> and I was like, there are two, two swim shirts and one shorts. I'm like, all of you guys have multiple shorts. Where's your stuff at? We looked everywhere, dad. They were gone for 30 seconds. And I, I, had a, I had a conversation with them. I had a conversation with them for like what felt like two hours. Explaining them the concept of obedience. Because when I asked them to do something, they didn't do it right away. They took like, they were finishing Fortnite. I'm like, okay. Well, we're going to talk about that later. Uh, to them, they were like, I remember when I asked them to do it, they were like, why do we got to do this? This doesn't make any sense. We could be playing video games right now, and you're making us go. You see, to them, they were like, this concept makes no sense. And then they, they were like, <laughs> this one. They go, they said this. You're just, what? There's, Riley goes, there's no reason to do it. If we need more, we'll just buy more. I'm like. <laughs> I was like, can you just go to your room? So I don't have to just, I don't want to have this conversation. And, and, and the last one was, and I remember them saying this. They were up there for 30 seconds. They came down. They didn't do it fully because when I walked up there, y'all, I found like 20 pairs. How many of y'all, come on, this is a classic parent thing, right? You went up and asked them to do something. You come back down. And you're like, this is, this is just, this is just, this is just. And so we had, an we had an opportunity to learn about real obedience. And I, I said this to them. I said, if you, if you learn, listen, here's why this is important because they asked me, like, why is this all important? If you learn how to obey daddy when you're young and as a kid, my hope is that you'll learn how to obey, obey daddy when you're old, your, your spiritual daddy. Because if you learn to obey with me, you'll learn to obey with him. And that's my job, as he teach you obedience. And, and my hope is that um, you would get all the blessings of, of the fear of God. There are a lot of them. You can experience goodness and protection and peace of mind and wealth and honor. You go back and look at it. They're all through Proverbs. My hope is that maybe I would give you a 
real, real sense of um, learning more about the fear of the Lord for your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, um, that today you have given us such a, a unique vi vision and version of the, the fear of God. And maybe we've thought of it being different. Um, maybe we've seen it or heard it in different ways. And I pray that today, God, you would help us um, clearly understand it for us personally and uniquely and divinely. 